Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. So welcome to It's a Queer Thing, and thank you for coming back to KFCF 88.1 on the third Friday of every month. Just a reminder that this is Chris and Kalia, and this radio station and all of its programs are listener-supported. So if you would like to make a monthly pledge, you can do that at www.kfcf.org. Just click the big donate Or you can call in at 559-892-4483 or 892-GIVE. Yes, if you know the letters of where they are on the phone. So, Kalia, you just did something fun this last weekend. I did. I went to camp out. Camp out. Got to ding the dinger. So this is, how how many camp outs is this? Well, it was my first camp out, and that's that's really all all that matters. Yeah, actually, I think it's the 43rd camp out. It's been around a long, long time. It's the 150th camp out, and you're (laughs) funny. No, but 150 plus people were there. and cool. It was amazing. I got to say, Sherry is the bomb. The staff was great. The food was good. The drinks were good. The progressive was great. I, amazing. Did I see there was a haunted house there with, there a, was. with a crystal ball with a, somebody's head speaking in it? There were, and there were little grave sites. There was so, so many amazing things. A lot of people went all out with this progressive. The theme was Disney or I'm sorry, copyright. It was Magical Mouse on the Mountain. And uh, so it was, you know, Disney-esque. That could mean so many things. It, re- it really did. Like I said, uh. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was it was great. I'm definitely going back. I've never felt so welcome, loved, cared for. And it was amazing because, you know, when you go to Pride, Pride is great. And Pride serves a very specific purpose in our community. Right. But there's a lot of people at Pride who are our allies, which is great. Like, right, we love right, the allies. Right. Yay, allies. Yeah, yeah. But there's no allies here. The, everybody here it was, was queer. All queer. It was okay. all queer, twenty four seven, and that's just something really special. Like there's it is. even when you dance in gay clubs, there's always this element of like I could get filled up by some rando dude who's like thinking that it's easy pickings here. You know, this or, is what I talked about recently when we went to the Castro a couple years ago mm-hmm. for my birthday. Not true. There's allies in the Castro too, of course, but. It feels totally gay yeah. when you're there. And that gives you a completely different feeling. Yes. I had, I mean, I walked up to so many different random campsites and it was just like, hello. And people would say hello. And then I would sit down and we would chit chat or we'd hang out in a hammock or we would do whatever. And people were friendly. It was fun. There was no drama. I, I, I've no can't, drama with 150 queer people. Huh? I, it's amazing. It's, it was truly something special wow. so thank you so much sherry thank you to the sapphic mafia thank you to kat and sarah and krista who like gave me a campsite with my own private little bathroom oh, <laughs> which really How made this you? little princess very happy up on her magical mountain well, let me tell did you did this little princess have any cucumber vodka uh this little princess did bring her own cucumber vodka so, so the story behind that we've <laughs> talked about that before is kalia loves cucumber vodka so i ended up i'm gonna i said i you know i love the kitchen i'm like i'm gonna make you some mm-hmm. having never done it before mm-hmm. and i made her some absolute cucumber vodka and was it how was it it was absolutely delicious so basically you take a big bottle of uh absolute, vodka, absolute <laughs> or any vodka yeah you pour it in a big thing and you cut up a couple of cucumbers and you just let it sit for a couple of days and then you and if strain you, it out if you mix your cucumber vodka with your seven up it is like the coolest most refreshing little spritzer drink known to man. It was amazing. So, yeah. Anyways, enough about me and camping. I know the people did not come just to hear me talk about kickball and how you're old. We also really want to talk. Oh, oh, oh. Is the person with the injured knee who's hobbling around (laughs) calling me old right Uh, now? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. she is. In fact, when the song was playing, the intro song was playing, she's got her (laughs) leg up on a chair. She's got her leg up on a chair and she started to bop a little bit and she hurt herself again just by (laughs) turning a two inches. So, We're of a certain age, Chris. We are. We are. Okay. Well, we want to go to our first guest if our first guest is on the line. Yep, you're nodding. Okay. So, Cy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. Some cucumber and vodka sounds great. <laughs> it sure does. Okay, so Sai, tell us and tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm a school psychologist uh, in Columbus Unified's Comprehensive Wellness Project, and I support equity and access for our LGBTQ plus students. And I also respond to support our students and our teachers who are just struggling with some challenging behavior needs. So tell us, Sai, what the heck is going on uh, in Clovis schools right now? Because um, Kaylee and I went to a Clovis uh, City Council meeting a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, whenever it was, and they were talking about, they didn't say banning books, but they were talking about censoring books and suggesting writing a letter to the Board of Supervisors. So we did that. And then there was another meeting uh, in Kingsburg, right? Was it Kingsburg? No, Tulare. No, yeah. Yeah, Tulare County. Um, and they ended up uh, tabling that issue. And now coming up next week, we have one in Clovis again. So what's going on? Yeah, the Clovis um, issue isn't so much in our school district. It's not so much about books or banning books. We have a pretty comprehensive like curriculum and instruction department, and there is a advisory group. Our LGBTQ advisory group is very much involved in supporting the curriculum. I would say, though, it is an area of improvement, um, and it's one that we're constantly looking at to make sure that our curriculum is inclusive. A lot of that really is working and navigating with our advisory group on kind of the vetting process and making sure that our books are appropriate for students but are also attached to appropriate curriculum and instruction. But I think the biggest issue right now that we're seeing in Clovis is about outing policy or parent notification policy. Um, It's not one that is unfamiliar, unfortunately. We've seen a lot of other school districts across California face similar outing policies. But on September 6th, there was a significant group of community members that really were advocating for an outing policy to happen in Clovis Unified. Um, That has really been an outing policy specifically addressing our transgender, non-binary, gender diverse students. Right. And, you know, that's been a huge part of the work that our Comprehensive Wellness Project has done, along with a lot of our mental health support providers, our GSA advisors, um, and in collaboration with our district admin. Up until March of last year, we were doing really well. We had a pretty comprehensive plan called a gender acknowledgement plan that can really acknowledge their needs at school, um, help them identify safe people on campus if there was ever an issue that came up. It outlined what pronouns to use, what names to use, what gender markers to use. But it was also helpful for our teachers and our administrators to know um, if there is ever communication at going home, what name and pronouns to use with a specific parent or guardian or family member, because we know that not all of our students have supportive families, supportive parents, supportive guardians. And that has always been the major focus of that gender acknowledgement plan was to protect the student's safety and also respect their needs at school to make sure that our schools were a safe environment for them. So I I watched the the people at that meeting um, and it seemed like it was 100% the people getting up and talking at the public comment in that Clovis uh, school board meeting were saying that they, you know, parental rights, yada, yada, and that they wanted a written policy about this. So is there a current policy at Clovis specifically about outing or is it just what you're talking about, like policies of gender affirming? Clovis Unified does not have an outing policy, and I don't think this point in time with all of the legal cases going on up and down in California, but across the United States, I really don't see Clovis Unified and their board creating a policy at this time. Okay. What we have done in the past has been a practice, Um, and what I would also say is in March of 2023, administrative guidance came out that has also been one of the topics of in conflict for a lot of our support providers our students our families but also our parents who are wanting to know whether or not their child might be transgender non-binary gender diverse and that's really the administrative guidance documents that came out um, in which a lot of support and advocacy for student privacy and protecting our student safety came into play. And that's really where those conversations started. 
So is there it, is the push that we're hearing about, is it really a push? And is it board members? Is it parents? Who's behind the idea that we should even talk about this? I would say that is a great question. It's one that I am not sure how to answer. I can say that when that change happened, the Association of Public Educators, the union representing the school psychologists and mental health support providers, filed a charge against the district because it was a unilateral change. That change impacts the work and the ability for us to ensure students have a confidential and safe space in whatever journey they're taking. And that is for any student with respect to, aside from LGBT issues, but maintaining their confidentiality um, with whatever issues that they might and so we wanted to make sure that that was a protection for all of our students. But unfortunately, because of the change in student site plan and the administrative guidance that did suggest that parents be notified, that is where we really wanted to plant our flag and say this is not what California Department of Ed guidance provides us, nor is it what we know to be the interpretation of the law. Yeah, so I, I was actually going to bring up student site plans next because there's something... Uh, it's circulating on circulating the internet. Circulating on the internet that Clovis is using student site plans to actually out students by, and in, in other words, bypassing any new law, any new regulation or any new policy. They're using student site plans to do it. Is this true? The student site plan is effective for students who have a parent or guardian that is aware and supportive of their journey. What the student site plan unfortunately fails to do is it fails to protect students who do not have a supportive family, parent, or guardian. And in those circumstances, in those student situation cases, it's unfortunate because a lot of our students, when they find out that parent notification could become a factor if they do have a student site plan or access a facility that's consistent with their identity or expression, that they could potentially be outed, that interrupt their feeling of having a confident and safe affirming space at school. And so therefore, a lot of our students who don't have that type of support don't want to have or move forward with a student site so, plan. And so that has been a difficult conversation because we've had a lot of students with a gender acknowledgement plan and with a transition transition to student site plan they so, no longer want so to help me kind of understand what a student site plan is a student site plan is a a piece of paper that you fill out that school fills out to give to the parents to initiate some kind of conversation between or the school and the parents or, or counseling what is it what no the student site plan is really a document that outlines the safeguards of a student who is ready to socially transition so it acknowledges their name their pronoun markers, access to facilities, but also maintains kind of their access to programs. So, But are the, the parents notified parents. through this student site plan? The parents are typically part of the, the conversation and the meeting in which that student site plan gets filled out. Okay, so yes, so basically. So if you have a student who present. wants to go do a transition and wants to start using the authentic pronouns and they need the support of the school so they can stay in their sport and they can stay and they can use the bathrooms, they need to set up a student site plan and the parents are informed of the student site plan because they're all involved and that's fine for parents who are supportive, but parents who aren't supportive are now finding out or potentially finding out that their child is interested in transitioning because of the student site plan. Do I got that right? Yes, majority of it right. We don't, I don't know of a case in which it hasn't happened yet, but it's like bit. potentially yeah. that is the thing. Okay. It's a, it's a potential that that would be the thing. For the most part, we have a student-centered conversation first. For example, if a student comes up to a teacher or a counselor or their GSA advisor and they say, I want to use this facility or I want to go by this name, we absolutely want to afford our students to live their authentic life and be safe on campus. That okay. is 100%. Everybody is on board with that. It is, however, when the student says, but I don't feel safe at home. And, of course, there are students that aren't going to be able to vocalize, I don't feel safe at home, because they might feel that they don't, they don't want to reveal that either. The same way they don't want to reveal their gender to their family, they may not want to say to the school, oh, my parents might 
react badly to this. So it's a thorny subject, yeah, for sure. Now we've seen cases, and we just saw the one、um, in Chino that the judge basically threw out and said, "No, you can't do this."、Um, that had to do with a basically a similar, well, a different because it wasn't school site, poly, you know, programs, well, but and, it was. And the state attorney general is suing the Chino school district. Right, right, I right. Th- I don't think the judge threw it out. I think I, he put a on, stay on it. He halted the Southern California、yeah. from requiring parents to be notified. Is basically what it is. I'm sorry. Yes, I said throughout, but it is officially halted. Thank right, you. Good right, catch. Right.、Um, so, and he basically though at one point from the bench asked like why they were spending time on this. So, do you think that that is a precedent that can give us hope that if policies like this start to be implemented here in Fresno County, that there is recourse? Do you th- or do you think that it's a different kind of situation? And I mean, how how afraid should we be? And how mobilized should we be at this point? Well, absolutely. I think it's a、um, it's a potential. I would also say that our Attorney General of California, Robert Bonta, has also been made aware of the student site plan and the procedures involved in the student site plan, with parent notification, parent consent being kind of a mandatory piece of that plan. It is. One where I think Clovis is unique because it is not outlined in a board policy, but what it is currently outlined in is in a student site plan, which is a practice. Okay. And so, Association of Clovis Educators and the district are in a settlement right now to make sure that we try to come to mediation. And if you're unable to do that, then it's likely that we would move forward with setting up hearing dates. So this next school board meeting, which is on the twentieth, I know that there has been efforts here locally to mobilize the LGBT community to go and speak, so that the next time this is discussed in the public comment section of a of a meeting, it's not a landslide in one direction that they hear voices from the LGBT community.、Um, we we think we here at the show, queer thing, think that that's a good idea. What do you think? And do you think that that is actually going to make a difference or? I think it will make a difference. I think、um, our governing board and our administration、um, really want to make sure that student safety is addressed in all of our schools. I will tell you that my department, my supervisor,、um, we have always advocated for that safety. We are typically the ones that that phone call gets made to when a student is not feeling safe, and so I think community members, parents, students. Their voice is the most important because they're living the experience, and also it really is about maintaining our students' right to privacy and maintaining and ensuring that our schools are safe place for all of our students. And that's the most important thing. Okay. All right. Couldn't have said it better myself.、Yeah. Thank you so much, Sai. We really appreciate it. And listeners, just so you know, again, that Clovis School Board meeting will happen on the twentieth, which is very coming up very very soon. We're going to have information on that in the show notes of this episode, as well as on our Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc.、Yeah. And I know P Flag will be there, so watch your feeds, and we're definitely going to be a part of that. Yeah. So, Sai, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate your input. So, I, I, I. I, I I messed up earlier, and I said Kingsburg for some reason. But the, on Tuesday night, the Kern County Board of Education、okay. voted to table a long-discussed parental notification policy for the time being. The decision came during the County Superintendent of School Boards Education Monthly Meeting, which opened the floor up again for public comment. For the sake of time, each speaker was allowed one minute.、Um, The empty room quickly filled with about 130 people, and the proposed gender disclosure policy would mandate schools to tell parents should their kids undergo any changes to their gender, gender identity, or gender expression, like switching pronouns. So they, I, and I think I've kind of heard that the、uh, state, the fact that the state attorney general is suing the Chino School Board District, had some play in the decision for them to table this. But again, table it for now. Who、yeah. knows? The more this gets out in the public, the more parents who are on that si- the other side of the issue are going to try and、uh, get this、uh, happening in school districts. Well, and that's the thing we've seen this kind of、uh, horrible rhetoric. It normalizes、um, horrible, bigoted behavior because、right. the more you hear, you get desensitized to、exactly. it, and that's it becomes an issue that people are kind of used to, and then it doesn't raise all the red flags that it should raise when you hear something heinous and horrible like this, for sure. For yeah,、sure. and let's just.、Uh, 
reiterate that the trans students or students experiencing any gender dysphoria or gender identity issues or dressing in the gender opposite of what they were born with, all of these things um, happen in every school district. And these kids, they, when they go to school, they feel safe. Even though we might think, you know, other kids are going to bully them. If they're living in a home that their parents are not open to these kinds of things, they get great relief when they go to school. Mm -hmm. And they can be themselves, but they don't always get to be themselves at home. So the reason that that kids are not expressing these things to their parents or their family is because they believe that's going to have a bad outcome. Yeah, and and the idea of parental rights, which is the thing that gets kind of brought up in a lot of these discussions, right. uh, we've already recorded. It'll be on an episode coming out next week. But Chris and I talked to um, a law professor at the Santa Clara School of Law, uh, Nicholas Serafin, and he talked a lot about parental rights and the court cases that have set precedent of what actually constitutes parental rights and what doesn't. So look for that in your yeah, he has some really week. interesting points about yeah. what the things that happened in the 1920s versus what's happening now. It was fascinating. It was very, very interesting. But speaking of parents and parental rights, we have been talking all month about books and library systems. And um, several of you know that because we, we've been, we hinted, we've dropped the hints that we were going to try to have on today's show somebody from the Fresno <laughs> Unified School District Libraries program and department and somebody from the Fresno County Library Department. And unfortunately, we have neither of those people. We have done, (laughs) we have tried so hard and we keep hitting these walls. So in both cases, we have people who are willing to answer a limited amount of questions over the phone, but not be on the record. And as soon as they say, let me run it up the flagpole and make sure it's okay to come and talk on the air and answer your questions. They, there's then, then suddenly the calls aren't being responded to. And I don't know if their higher ups are saying, no, you're not allowed. Or if the higher ups are tabling this to see until things are less contentious, you know, right now in the media, et cetera, or what, but the, but the, what the upshot is, is that we don't really have answers to some of the questions that we've been trying to get answers to. And it's, pretty it's pretty frustrating and i think it's also very telling the danger of what's going on in society right now for the last couple of years very intensely is that if the people in power and i'm going to say librarians are the people in power i'm going to say corporations like anheuser-busch are the people in power targets are the people in power if they start bowing down to people complaining about the LGBTQ community are wanting to erase us, which is really what they're wanting to do. If they start going silent on this and and bowing out of the conversation, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Unfortunately, like we said, you know, if the only voice that's being heard is from one side and it's spouting nonsense and there's nobody to stand up and say that's wrong, then that's the only voice that bystanders hear. And then they get desensitized to it and they start to think that that's normal or that at least it's been tacit acceptance by right. the place of the corporations or the people in power. And so it's it's pretty frustrating. Now, I can tell you that librarians, to be an official librarian in Fresno County, you have to have a master's degree. I can tell you that the um, library collections in Fresno County are set up by the ALA, the American Library Association. They've got a newsletter and they make recommendations. I can tell you that they use a process called CREW, C-R-E-W. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that acronym stands for. But you can find it online where they talk about things that have to be educational. They, they Basically, they go through their nonfiction stuff every year to make sure that they have updated and correct science materials and education on the shelves. That's all good. That's great. I can tell you that because they can tell me that off the record. It would just be nice if they could tell it to you guys so that it's not just me telling it to you guys. Well, um, and you know what's fascinating too is we have a list here of uh, all the books that were suggested or complained about in the Fresno County Library System from January until now. None of them were removed off the shelf. They were all, virtually every book that was questioned, there was a written response email to the submitter and the book was not removed or moved. 
Um, and the way that these these process gets started is that there's a form on the website of the Fresno County Library um, that if you you don't like a book, you can fill out this form and turn it in, and then they review it. And that and we're not sure exactly who reviews it or how long the process is or all of that again. But we do know that so far this year they have decided that these these complaints don't hold any water. So read, so why read not? some of the books. Yeah, and I th- these are all. I would think with maybe one or two exceptions, LGBTQ books. I'm Not a Girl by Maddox Lyons, My Rainbow by Trinity and Deshanna Neal, This Day in June by Gail Pittman, Gender Queer by Maya Kobabi, If You're a Drag Queen and You Know It by Little Miss Hot Mess. Um, All of the children's books on display at the Clovis Regional Library for Pride Month, they were all complained about, and they have not removed any of them. Children's books, um, oh, sorry, that's the same thing. The NEA Reads Across America, Focus on Pride Month, Spin With Me by Amy Polanski, Milo and Marcus at the End of the World by Kevin Christopher Snipes, It Feels Good to Be Yourself by Teresa Torn, Everybody, It's Perfectly Normal by Roby Harris, that's the one Diane Pierce is after in Clovis. And Johnny the Walrus by Matt Walsh. Now, I can tell you that every book here I know is queer, except maybe one or two. And they may be. I just don't happen to know the I content. I don't know what Johnny the Walrus yeah, is. I yeah, I don't exactly. either. It's <laughs> but... probably Johnny the Gay Walrus. But <laughs> maybe. Johnny and his husband, <laughs> no. Walrus, raise a baby, just jo- like the... Johnny's was... a bear. Tango makes three. Tango yes, makes three. I know what you're referencing. And I saw today that in Florida this year, 386 books have been banned. Yeah. Um, and... Of all the people that complain, or of all of those books, half of the requests came from two individuals in Florida. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> so what they're doing is like this Moms for Liberty thing and other yeah. groups. They are creating a document that has a, a layer of names of books on it, passing it around the internet, and then people in various states are saying, you know, we want this band. We want. They don't even read the friggin' books, people. So speaking of Moms and Liberty and Florida, this yeah. is funny. I saw this headline: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appoints Moms for Liberty co-founder oh, yeah. to the state. Commission on Ethics. Can you believe it? <laughs> on Ethics. I was like, this has to be fake. It's not. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, DeSantis <laughs> is a moron without doubt. But I mean, even the morons in politics like Trump and DeSantis and others, you think when they do something, how could even they think this was going to fly? Yeah. Well, and apparently, yeah. Well, And anyway. in Kansas, people... Kansas librarians were fired over a rainbow autism display. In June, two librarians put up two rainbow-colored displays near the entrance of the public library in Sterling, Kansas, their way of celebrating autism and neurodiversity. In one, the rainbow colors formed an infinity symbol broken up by a heart and accompanied by the words, we all think differently. The librarians say they were fired after a library board member complained the display promoted and, quote, LGBTQ agenda, unquote. On Tuesday, the two former librarians filed a lawsuit alleging that the Sterling Free Free Public Library's eight-member board, the city of Sterling, and its mayor violated their rights to free speech. So it is happening, people. They're now firing librarians for putting up a rainbow display. It's ridiculous. I mean, most of this is, and we said this uh, at the Clovis City Council, 40% of the books in question across the country are LGBTQ. Mm Mm-hmm. They're after us. They want us gone. Yeah. And, and you know, again, just to reiterate, um, children at the library are supposed to be, you know, supervised by an adult. And the librarians are professional people. They put books in specific spots. And they try to make sure the collection is, you know, for everyone. The whole point here is that representation matters. And we should have books about neurodivergent children. And we should have books about immigrant children and we should have books about lgbtq children because that is how you see that you're represented and that you are you know a normal safe regular person and the the sad truth of it is um restricting lgbtq uh representation and education increases the suicide rate of LGBTQ kids. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about how trans-affirming health care is suicide prevention, but representation is also suicide prevention. And I think that's really, really important. So 
let's see here. Do we want to move on? I'm looking at the time. Yes. We okay. got her. Okay. Yeah. We, oh, she, is she already on the yes, line? Yes. Okay, great. So you guys may or may not know that the Union uh, United Auto Workers Association is on strike right now, which is kind of a big deal. I, I, are you aware of this, Chris? Have you been following this United? I, s- I saw that it was going to happen. I didn't know it had actually happened. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. And the thing is that it's multiple places in Detroit, GMC. It's, it's a, I mean, they're talking about how summer 2023 is the summer of labor because we've got yeah. the rider strike. We've got the Screen Actors Guild strike. Now we've got auto workers on strike. It's, it's very important. But closer to home, we have Kaiser. We have Kaiser right here in Fresno. And on the line with us today is Melanie Reno, who is a union steward at Kaiser Permanente. And she's going to talk to us about a potential upcoming strike at Kaiser. So, Melanie, are you there? I am. Hi. Hey, Hi. Melanie. <laughs> wow, you sound tired. <laughs> just got home from work. So, yes. <laughs> very cool. So, it's been a very, very long week and a very, very long year. <laughs> Indeed. So you're a union steward. Um, tell us quickly, what, what is that and how does that relate to this strike? What's And, and which unions are on strike? Because as, as soon as you say strike at Kaiser, everybody I've mentioned that to said, oh, the nurses? And I said, no, I don't think so. I my think thought was, am I going to be able to get my meds? That yeah. Was... Is it lab techs? <laughs> is it pharmacy? What's going on over there at Kaiser, Melanie? So, uh, so hi. Um, so I'm a member of SEIU UHW. Um, we are one of the largest um, healthcare unions in California. We are bargaining in conjunction with um, our other fellow unions as part of a coalition. We do this every about every four years for our wages and benefits, as well as for things that affect like our local unions. So basically, for the Fresno facility, there'll be us, and then there'll be the local 20, which represents some of our the lab CLSs. SAUHW represents basically everybody else in the hospital who's not a doctor, nurse, or management. Like, there's a few other straight things here and there, but well, we pretty much represent most of the other classifications that you see from your um, receptionist to your phlebotomist to the people that take your x-rays to um, the people that take care of you while you're inpatient in the hospital, your respiratory therapist, um, your weird niche lab techs like me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we represent pretty much everybody else. Is that on the badges? Weird niche? Is that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I have like one of those kind of rare, rare jobs that I people don't understand. But for the most part, I think we're, we're everybody else. You're your medical assistants, LVNs, with people that work in member services. We're the people that do the scheduling for your appointments, everybody else. Wow. And it's already really hard sometimes to get those scheduled appointments and get the lab work done. So It's impossible. So tell us, um, you guys have been bargaining for a while now, and an important vote just happened on Wednesday. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. We've been in um, negotiations. Uh, we started in April. Uh, we've been pretty much meeting every month, um, twice a month, the uh, last month and this month with Kaiser. Um, and just based on kind of what we had been seeing with how they have dealt with other unions, like the nurses who settled their contract this year, uh, the engineers who still don't have a contract, and with um, some of the other uh, alliances of unions, we kind of were kind of prepared that this might be an eventuality that we'd have to do. And based on the behavior that we had seen in bargaining, we determined that we were going to have to authorize a vote to authorize a potential strike. So this isn't a strike just yet, um, but what we have done is we have done elections uh, for the past three weeks uh, with our membership to uh, basically educate them with what's going on and to get their votes on whether or not we would authorize a strike. And as of yesterday, we got the tally for everybody. For uh, We had 98% yes vote for all voting members that voted to authorize a strike should the need arise. Sounds pretty decisive. So let's say, I know it's not, but let's say tomorrow a strike happens. What do those of us who have Kaiser Healthcare, which I am one, and... Yeah, so technically our contract expires on the 30th of September. The soonest the strike could happen would be October 1st. As a healthcare organization, as a care provider, we are required to give a 10-day notice 
to allow um, hospitals a time to make arrangements for care. We have seen this happen before. We did a one-day sympathy strike for our engineer brothers and sisters who had been out for three months on strike um, and basically shut the hospital down. They had to um, divert patients, cancel appointments without, without anybody in the lab running the lab, without anybody in radiology, without uh, people in the EDs. You know, you're just left with um, yeah, so that's, the that's, nurses and the doctors. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, yeah, so that's what I'm getting at as, as people who have Kaiser Healthcare, like Kaylee and I and mm-hmm. lots of other people. So if it happens on October 1st, it sounds like chaos pretty much. Yeah, I mean, there would be notice, so you would know about these things um, in advance. I, I mean, that is a requirement. You can't just leave people um, without health care, without advance notice, but it is. And But I know I've talked to Kaylee about some of the, her experiences. I mean, she's heard about my experiences. I'm a Kaiser patient myself. We're frustrated. I mean, the, the wait times, we're not, we're not unusual. I mean, but... This is our employer, and this is our contract, so we want them to be better. Um, but the wait times are bad. The appointments are bad. Um, we need more. We need more providers. We need more people. There's a lot of people that are living um, paycheck to paycheck. Right. That we shouldn't be doing that. Um, we all seen how much rent has risen. We have seen how much PG&E has risen over the past year. I mean, I think it's been an 18% increase this year right. in just PG&E alone. Um, you know, cost of living is going up and, and raises me to go up uh, to reflect that, that people can afford to live. I've seen my coworkers and they're struggling. I mean, I don't know how they do it with families. I, I don't have kids myself. And I, I see what my bills are. I have no idea how they're doing it with <laughs> yeah, kids and yeah. and buying houses and stuff like that. Yeah, I have a couple that just bought a house, and I see how much they're they're working to try to make ends meet. Um, so let me ask you. I one of the articles I read earlier had like a little breakdown of what the what the they're asking for in comparison to what Kaiser was offering. But now that I pull up that same article right now in real time, that little graphic is gone. So I'm not sure what that means. But can you right. can you give me a couple of bullet points about what specific asks that um, you guys are asking for and what Kaiser is doing? And then my next question, just so you can prepare, is do you think there will be a sympathy strike from one of the other unions if you guys actually do go on strike? Well, okay, so as far as what our focus has been on this bargaining, it's been um, about wages. That's always on the table. I mean, we need cost of living increases to keep up with the rising cost of of life. Um, We also need staff. Um, We would like to see increases in staff. Um, There's been a lot of issues with how staffing has been um, handled, um, and we'd like to see improvements in that. Um, Kaiser's, you know, they made $3 billion in the first half of this year alone. Right. And, you know, we'd like to see, you know, some of that. So we proposed at our last, at our last um, in August, the beginning of August, we proposed like sevens and sixes for raises because we know that the cost of inflation has been at 9%. Um, so we, sevens and sixes. Uh, we know the nurses, when they settled their contracts this year, got sixes and fives. When they came back with their offer, it was fours and threes. Wow. For just the North, and then for the other half of the union and for our other sister, um, uh, brother and sister uh, unions that are in our coalition, it would be threes and twos. Mm-hmm. Because apparently they are saying that we are over the market. They are paying too much. We pay too much in the South, particularly. They're way over the market. So we all know how much the cost of living is in L.A. I mean, it's, right, right. it's, it's pretty bad. So, And they do get paid less than we do here in the North. Um, so that's been their big push is they, they talk a lot about the markets, the markets, markets, the markets. And that's been one of our complaints is they do make that argument about the markets a lot, but we've never seen any of the financials. So we're not, they're not showing right. us the truth. Exactly, yeah, The yeah, transparency yeah. is not huh. there. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Melanie, and I don't know if this is true, yeah. but I, I kind of feel like it might be because... Since people depend on health care so much and they know what the cost of health care is, do you think that the general public relates the cost of health care 
and they connected in some way that you guys are all already making too much money and how dare you go on strike because it affects their health care and they already think you're making too much money. Uh, you know, there's an argument there. This argument is definitely there. Um, I don't agree with that, by the way. I'm just saying that's what I, I think people, I, yeah, yeah. But I, you know what, there, since we represent such a large range of classifications, you're definitely going to get those that are, you know, making on the higher scale. But then definitely we represent a lot of those that are on the lower scale. Right. And we've just seen things like the Teamsters settle a contract where they'll make $21 an hour minimum wage across their, uh, across all their the states that they represent. We have people down in the South. These are like people who are your, your, your patient care techs, your EVS workers, your nutrition aides. They're making like $19 an hour. Wow. And some of these are licensed professionals that wow. have to maintain a license and they can make as much as going to work a target. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this is this is this is who's taking those workers, and we need these people. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been stuck in a hospital inpatient, like in a bed. Like these are the people you want to help have help you have a bed, go to the bathroom, right? Know, right. Feed you, help make sure you're fed. You know, and and these are the people that we're going to lose because. We're not, or they're 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 struggling to make ends meet. Right. So so let me go back oh. to the sister strikes. Do you think there will be a union um, sister unions that might do sympathy strikes with you guys? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of hard we to predict. We have some say yes, some say no. I mean, right now we're just in that we've got to get our decks in a row first before other people make commitments. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So we just completed our strike our strike votes. Um, there were strike votes in Colorado. Um, some of our other uh, unions that are in our coalition are doing their, currently holding their strike votes. So we'll be getting our stuff in order. I've heard that the Teamsters will be supporting us as well. Um, so, you know, you can't get any deliveries in, but don't quote me on that because... Right. Don't quote no, you on that. You're on a live radio show. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, leave. No. I, I've heard that. Like, so, you know, you can't... And I really yeah, hope yeah, yeah. people supported others, so I hope uh-huh. they support us. Yeah. But we've had a lot of other things going. Like, we're trying to... Uh, we just... AB 525 um, just passed the California Senate. Um, that would raise the health care minimum wage to $25 an hour throughout the state of California. It just currently went to the governor's desk. So we hope that will have some positive change for some people. Uh, and not just for, for us, but for others as well, because we really do believe in lifting up the floor for others in the healthcare field if we, you know, help that rising tide lifts all boats. And, you know, it's not just, you know, our hospital that needs staff, it's other areas that need staff as well. And we need to retain good staff and get people who want to go into the field. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are retiring. A lot of people left after COVID. Um, well, and, and we've heard that there's, there's going to be a big nursing shortage, specifically here in the Valley in the next couple of years. I know that that um, representative, representative yeah, Congressman Costa was just talking to the, about it, that the to C us. The words are easier. Mm-hmm. I know. Saying. They definitely will. Anyways, um, about trying to get a, a better nursing school going on because the nursing school is so impacted here in Fresno that people who want to go to nursing school have, you know, a year-long waiting list. So, but the, it's good to, to think about all the other medical field things, not just nurses, not just doctors, but like you're talking about, like the patient care and the lab techs and stuff. And those are specialized skills and those people definitely need to be compensated. I know that one of the ways to get people to do those jobs is to pay a fair wage. And I think Chris just pulled up a, a thing about the minimum wage. There's a bill. For fast food workers is going to go up to, to $20, $20 an, an hour. hour. So yeah, it seems right. like it needs to be comparable to people who are, you know, a high, higher level skill than, than you know, fast food. Yeah. And that's been another one of our pushes about it with staffing and retention um, is the training. Um, we have some schools and education funds, both for current employees and for friends and family that we're hoping to see them and not only continue to help us fund to get um, more healthcare workers trained, but also get them hired in. We've struggled with that. We um, have a school fund for family and friends that got 
funded after our last bargaining session, but we've had struggled to get those people hired in um, due to some of their requirements. So that's one of the issues that we're working with them on the bargaining table is how do we get those people that you've basically invested in training into these jobs? Into the jobs you know? here in the Valley. Yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. know. Um, so for our listeners, if you have looked at our TikTok, because we do have a TikTok, one of the videos that I posted a while back was me actually out there on the picket line with Melanie, um, you know, supporting the supporting the potential hey. of the strike. Yeah, walking around in circles in the freaking heat because it was hot that day. So It was really hot, and you are an awesome picketer, by the way. <laughs> I've got she lots, of, lots of... I've got these lungs. I'm good at yelling. Anyways, thank you so much, Melanie. This was great. This is a story that we will keep watching, of course, and um, keep everybody informed. I'm sure it'll be all over the news if and when a strike does happen, if and when. So thank you so much again, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. You're welcome. Have a good evening, guys. You too. You too. You too. Oh, my goodness. So, so many things. So this is fascinating. The $20. Somebody told me this a couple of days ago at work, and I had heard it in the pipeline, but I didn't uh-huh. know it was actually happening. And the, according to the USA Today, um, it just has to be signed in by Gavin Newsom and everybody else, and he'll sign it yeah. in a second. That means fast food workers will make $20 an hour. So, you know, I am all for this because even at $20 an hour, people are underpaid. You want to hear something funny? One of my first post-college, like, real person, professional jobs, uh-huh. I worked for a software company in downtown San Jose. Oh, like, I thought this was going to go in a whole no, different no, direction. No, but no, no, okay. no. Okay, I was a marketing coordinator. I did a bunch of, like, serious marketing stuff and used my degree, et cetera, et cetera. It was not entry level. I was making twenty dollars an hour. Wow. <laughs> like that was the oh my god! Like when, it, what year was this? Uh, it was, uh, oh, get over it! I'm not trying to think. I'm oh. old. I can't remember. I don't know. Two thousand and six. Two thousand and yeah. Two thousand and six. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it was a big deal because twenty dollars an hour is forty thousand dollars a year. That's how that and, you basically know, splits we, out to. We all know what it costs to live these days, especially when uh, when COVID hit and we found the grocery prices went through the roof, and oh, now the, yeah. the real estate prices are through the roof. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just not fair to people. And, you know, fast food workers are going to go up to $20 an hour, which I hope they do. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's going to have a ripple effect across at least the state of California and other professions because... This person at work that told me about it, he goes, if I can just go flip burgers for $20 an hour, what am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of it. Yeah, it's a lot less stress in terms well, of... Well, not mean, for you, me. That's a more have, stress for me. But. Well, I mean, like, if you have a retail job, you have retail job stress. But if you're in a job that has, like, you're at a management track or whatever, right. then you can't just leave the job at the end of the day. Yeah. You kind of have to take it with you. And so it, there, there's different... You know, there's yeah, for sure. I remember I have a friend who was telling me he was uh, worked for Seagate, I think, at the time, which is a semiconductor company in, in the Bay Area. And he was jealous of a guy working at the gas station because he's like, I bet when that guy goes home, he doesn't have to think about yeah, work. Yeah, no. I think about work all weekend. <laughs> I used to manage. I used to manage hotels for many years, and you just it. I had in the old days, I had my pager, and then I had my cell phone, and it you never leave work ever um and it's incredibly stressful well you know my husband works for pg and e and we call it the golden handcuffs because he can never leave (laughs) and and the medical insurance is so good i applied to pg and e a few years ago and i didn't get in but i a lot of people are like you got to go to pg and e you got to go and then as i was going through that process i found that you're pretty much on call all the time and you have to work weekends and late and the shifts change and I'm like I, not at this point in my life I can't yeah, do that I, for sure I for like sure. my little nine to fiver you know okay so do we have to do um a pros and cons you got any goods and bads real fast before we wrap up the show Chris oh now this is Kalia throwing this on me sorry okay <laughs> why don't you start okay Kalia? I will start so you know what P-E-P-F-A-R is, right? It is... PEPFAR. Uh, PEPFAR. It started in 2003 during President, then President Bush's administration. It's considered to be one of the, among the nation's most con, con, bleh, consequential public health and diplomacy programs, a.k.a. it is basically 
an AIDS research fund that right. helps people with AIDS. Okay, right. it's a really great program. Unfortunately, it has to get reauthorized every so often, and it is going to expire on September 30th. And former President Bush has come out in support of keeping this going. I'm sure the Biden administration is definitely going to be pushing for it as well, but we all know that there are some Republicans in Congress who don't want to reauthorize this, and people nowadays have this idea that AIDS is a thing that we don't even have to think about anymore. That's true. So, we, just, we just talked to... Uh, we just talked to... Carlene. Carlene. <laughs> I almost said Carmela. That's I, not right. Yeah. We just talked to Carlene about the AIDS walk, which will be on our show coming up. Um, I have a good good little bit here. Oh, yeah? Okay, yeah, let's yeah. hear your good bit. Um, so if you don't know who Senator John Kennedy is, um, we like to call him Foghorn Leghorn because he kind of talks <laughs> like that. But he sat on the floor of the Congress this week and read out loud an excerpt from All Boys Aren't Blue. Oh! By George M. Johnson, who we have interviewed on this show. And I'm not going to read it here because we're on the radio, but he read <laughs> these words. I will just show it to Kalia so she can just see a little bit about oh, what he read. Yeah, that's part of why this book is yeah, trying to be part banned. Of the book <laughs> where the character, or not character, where George lost his. Uh, is virginity. It virginity. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if this is the one where he lost his virginity, but it's a, it's a piece of the it's book where he talks thing. about a yeah. sex uh, experience. And it was so funny watching Foghorn Leghorn read this. I um, bet. Yeah. And I I may end up posting this, you know, some of this at the podcast. I was just going to say, either that or you could do your own reenactment, put your own back. Oh, no. His is too good. His is too good. On. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're just about out of time. So we're going to say real fast, you guys can follow us on the socials we are it's a queer thing t-h-a-n-g make sure that you email us make sure that you share us and like us and tell your friends to listen thank you so much for uh, listening i do want to bring up one thing really quick the okay. gender euphoria <laughs> oh, masquerade yes. ball from trans emotion is happening saturday september 23rd uh at 6 to 9 p.m at fresno city college and do not forget this this week the 20th is that uh, Clovis School Board protest that we are all wanting to go to. It's at 1680 David E. Cook Way in Clovis, California, Wednesday, September 20th at 6.30 p.m. Come in and, and, and let them hear your voice. Watch our socials. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. I, I confess I'm a little confused. All boys aren't blue. And I will quote from it. I put some lube on and got him on his knees. And I began to slide into him from behind. I pulled out of him and kissed him while he masturbated. He asked me to turn over while he slipped a condom on himself. This was my ass. And I was struggling to imagine someone inside me. He got on top and slowly inserted himself into me. It was the worst pain I think I have ever felt in my life. Eventually, I felt a mix of pleasure with the pain.